The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining us today is somebody I wanted to talk to uh, since day one of this pandemic. It's um, someone that my dad, Professor Eugene Maxwell, um, often, often cites. Dr. Michael Osterholm is essentially the go-to person when you want to know anything about COVID-19. Um, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I have so many questions, but I, I actually just want to start um, with a really sort of basic sort of foundational question about where we are right at, at this moment as we sit here, because I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> um, the CDC seems to not necessarily have gone dark, but they're not giving a lot of updates um, in the sense of where we actually are in this pandemic. I mean, obviously, they changed some of the the data parameters for some of the maps on their site. So I don't know what's green and what's red. And I'm confused about whether or not we are in a surge right now. What do you think? Well, first of all, welcome to the world of COVID. <laughs> you, you, have, you have articulated that very, very well, um, the, exactly where we're at right now. There's a tremendous amount of confusion. And I think the three most important uh, and relevant words that I have come to learn to say with all too much frequency is, I don't know. And I think that that's been uh, a challenge for a lot of scientists who feel compelled to provide answers as to what is happening or going to happen, and then to only find out later that they had no real idea. Mm. It didn't happen that way. If you look back, it was just a year ago right now, exactly now, that, um, you know, I was saying that I thought that the pandemic actually was not done and that we may be seeing some of the darkest days ahead. And this was after case numbers had dropped precipitously from that big January peak and vaccine was flowing. And then along came Delta uh, right in July and then Omicron uh, in November, December. And you saw what happened. Well, we're in some ways not that dissimilar right now. We don't know what these variants, these new ever-changing SARS-CoV-2 virus, the virus that causes COVID, is going to do. And so I have to say right now, there is no question from my mind, out of many of my colleagues, we are seeing more transmission of this virus at this point in the United States and in many parts of the world than we've ever seen it in its entirety of the pandemic. So more transmission. Case numbers are not getting reported because they're typically milder. People are not getting tested in the same way. Hospitalizations are roughly at an all-time low relative to ongoing number of deaths, about 300 a week, which is still 2,100 a week overall, or 300 a day, 2,100 a week. And so uh, that truly is a lot better than 4,000 a day, as we saw with uh, the Omicron Delta peaks. So, So right now, I can only tell you that we're in a pretty good spot in terms of severe illness, And that's true for many parts of the world. 
but we're seeing lots of cases and we don't know again what the variant is going to do tomorrow we could have one that will evade immune protection from what we've already achieved with vaccines and with previous illness and you know we could be in the soup again or it could continue to be more like it is right now we just don't know well that actually is helpful because i was wondering if it was just me that was confused <laughs> but it, that apparently that's it's not just me um I, you mentioned the fact that um, last summer you you were talking about you know the cha- the ever changing ever changing nature of this virus and the fact that it's continuing to mutate. I mean that's true of many viruses, but this one in particular, in the way it's mutating, I think is actually um, important. And I want to ask you about um, sort of how you see and where the mutations are taking place on the spiked protein. If, if that is signaling anything concerning, because it, when, when BA4 and 5 were circulating in South Africa, I was reading about how where the mutations are happening, um, that, is, that is actually concerning scientists in terms of potential ability to escape immunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, you've summarized it very, very well. I'm not sure you need me on this radio show. No, you, no, I need job. you. I need to answer yeah, these questions. You're doing, you're, doing, you're doing a great oh, okay. job here. Trust me. Um, I think the, the let me just give you an example of what six months ago would have not been thought likely to happen. Uh, if you, as you noted, with Omicron, the variant that emerged in South Africa in November, covered the world by mid-December to mid-January, that virus uh, was what we call a variant. Uh, Omicron, the new name, as opposed to Delta and Beta and Gamma and all the other ones. If you look at all the previous variants, we never had a challenge with what we call subvariants, kind of a variant of the variant. And so think of this like family names, the Smiths, the Joneses, you know, the, the O'Neills. And, you know, you had one, rep- one Ryan, one O'Neill, you know, one Jones. And now suddenly you got five Joneses, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what's happened with Omicron. We now have these subvariants. Well, it turns out that those people who were infected with BA1, the original Omicron variant, back in December and January, are now susceptible to BA4 and BA5, which are other Joneses, okay? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're still within the Omicron family. And so here the protection waned that quickly, or meaning that the virus changed enough so that it could evade immune protection. So what we saw initially in South Africa, where we saw BA1 originate or at least really hit hard first in South Africa, that now, two and a half to four months later, they're seeing another big surge of cases all related to BA4, BA5 among people who had previously been infected with BA1. Now, the good news is most of these cases tend to be milder. They're not as severe. The death numbers are down. But just think how much of a change that is from the way we were thinking about all the variants of of COVID before BA4, BA5 came along. Well, now, fast forward six months from now, what else is going to happen between now and then? And we don't know. And I think that's the part that is hard, because if you have a vaccine or you've had previous infection, you have immunity, you surely want to believe you're going to have some protection from those experiences that will protect you into the future against disease, against uh, severe illness, et cetera, and hopefully even against infection, just getting infected. But we don't know that yet. And that's the challenge we have. In terms of what's happening in these mutations, 
there are many, many different locations and different combinations. It's kind of like a card game, you know, mm-hmm. a full deck of cards. You know, depending on which hand you get is what virus you get that day. And so there's not one place on the spike protein or one place on the virus uh, itself or in the ge- uh, genetics of the virus that is change means this happens or this happens. It's a combination of all of these. Oh. And that's also, again, what we're learning. It seems like every time a new variant shows up, it's a whole new shuffle of the card deck. That is very helpful. And and one of the things I also read recently is that in a lot of ways, the the sub-variants that are circulating now, they're so different from the original COVID that we should almost think about it like it's a different virus that's circulating. I mean, is that is that the right well, way to can, think about but, it? But, well, yes and, and, and no. Let me add a, a, a caveat to it. It's a, it. Your point's a good one. The situation right now with vaccines is challenging. Mm. One of the companies, Moderna, has announced that they now have an Omicron variant vaccine. But if you look, actually, the vaccines that we currently have, which originate from the original Wuhan strain, the ancestral strain, as we call it, actually may be still the most important one to have Mm. because, you know, alpha is different than beta and gamma and delta and Omicron. Each are different. So if I have an Omicron-specific vaccine, then what happens when I have more subvariants Omicron? It really isn't quite the same. Or what if it's not Omicron anymore, but it's Pi, a brand new variant that shows up? Will the Omicron-specific vaccine be the best? And it may not be. It may be that the ancestral strain, which still has basically the framework of the virus, is going to be the best. And so this is also an area where there's a lot of confusion about what do we do in terms of, you know, vaccines and immunity and, you know, will it be better to have a new Omicron variant specific vaccine? Look, I just gave you the example where BA4, which is Omicron, BA1, which is Omicron, that that BA1 infection does not protect you now against BA4 and 5. Well, think of the vaccine. Why is that going to be any better? And so I think this is, again, where the I don't know comes in. Mm. And we just have to tell people, you know, these vaccines have surely saved millions of lives. But they're not perfect, and we need new and better vaccines, and we're working towards that end to find those that can give us more protection. So as these variants continue to emerge, wouldn't it be great if we could find more of a universal vaccine that will give us more protection against variants? And one of the things that's happening right now, which, as all of what you're saying is happening, is that we are pretending as if the pandemic is over. So, you know, they just announced that there's not going to be any more um, testing requirements for international travel. Um, I have not really seen a lot of people out when I when I well peek my head out because I still very much um, am pretending like the pandemic is real. So I, I'm not out, you know, at any indoor events or any really any events with other people. Like I do a one at a time situation. Um, but in terms of the, of the mitigation, are, how ill prepared are we? given the fact that last summer we had a surge and then we had a surge in the fall and winter, the White House said they're expecting 100 million cases in the fall and winter, and that doesn't account, I assume, for what we're going to see in July and August. So with all of the mitigation going away, how how much worse are we going to make it given the uncertainty of, of these variants and subvariants? Well, let me use those three famous words. I don't know. <laughs> and no one does. No one does. Anybody that projects out what's going to happen with cases three to six months from now, 
are, is doing that really largely based on pixie dust. That's what it is. We don't know. You know, how many times have we been surprised by mm. these new peaks and cases that have come up because of a new variant that's emerged or a new subvariant? And so uh, we don't know what's going to happen with this virus. And let me just be really clear that, you know, from a mitigation standpoint, surely, you know, distancing, uh, all the things that, that we've talked about with this can reduce transmission. But in the end, this virus is so highly infectious right now, as we're seeing, you know, if you basically have contact with other humans, you still have a chance of getting infected. Um, as I pointed out earlier in this conversation, we're seeing more infections right now, I think, in our communities than we've seen any time since the pandemic began. Now, part of that is because, as you very rightly pointed out, the public is done with this virus, even though the virus isn't done with them. It's done with it. And so we're kind of moving on to life as normal. Now, you can argue, well, maybe that isn't such a bad thing, if, in fact, we're not seeing lots of severe illness, it's like influenza. We don't shut down the United States. We don't change, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis with business, schools, et cetera, when we have a, a severe influenza season. You know, we tell people to get vaccinated, that type of thing. Well, maybe that's what we do here. I don't know. But the point being is, is that, you know, 2,100 deaths a week is still a substantial hit relative to, to this virus. And uh, I think the the answer is going to be, for most people, we're not going to go back and do what we were doing before. We're not going to lock down the mask mandate. You know, I, for one, have not been a big supporter of a mask mandate, not because I don't think that masking can be really important and be very helpful, Mm -hmm. but it's what kind. It's what kind. If you're not using an N95 respirator, you know, basically what you're doing is only closing three of the five doors on your submarine before you take off. You know, you're done. You know, so marrying a surgical mask or wearing it under your nose doesn't do any good. But we made a lot to do about that. You know, I've been on planes where I've had my N95 respirator on when the mask mandate was in place and people had their, you know, their surgical mask on, which didn't stop the virus from going in and out. And then they'd take it off to eat and drink for two hours out of the three hour flight. Now, that's not a that's not an effective event, but that was a mask mandate that complied. So I think about that a lot. Yeah, well, and, and it's true. I mean, you're sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And so to me, if you're not doing something really meaningful, something that's going to really make a difference, then I think, you know, the squeeze is not worth the juice relative to and the juice worth the squeeze when you when you have that kind of a situation. So I personally think that the public's just done. And unless we really see severe, severe illness, lots of deaths return, um, you know, people are just going to move on with this virus. So if not a mask mandate, what what is effective? I mean, in other parts of the world, I'm always curious because I watch a lot of content from yeah. Asia. So, like, yeah. you know, I can watch a concert of 100,000 people in Asia and they're all wearing their masks properly um, and, and not yelling at the concert as as instructed. And I feel like, you know, a little bit envious of, of these other places because clearly mask mandates, as you say, can work if they're you know, everybody is if the government is giving out high quality masks and everybody is following the directions in terms of how to wear the masks properly. Yeah, yep. um, but what what could work here since we don't follow directions well? Yeah, yep, yep. So you diagnosed the problem really well. <laughs> the problem is I don't know what the medicine is. OK. And, and in this case, let me even point out, because I think this is worth noting, um, the highest rate of deaths in any population, any time in the pandemic was what happened when Omicron swept through Hong Kong uh, about four months ago. Now think of that. 
here is an area that thought we all thought, oh, do it like Hong Kong does it or do it like, you know, the, some of the Asian countries are because they've got this under control. We should be mm-hmm. learning from them. And then once a much more highly infectious virus finally hit them, mm-hmm. you know, all hell broke loose. Right. And I think that one of the most masked populations in the world is the group in Hong Kong. Right. Now, yeah, they still have this problem. Why? Because they were largely wearing surgical masks, not the N95 respirators. Mm-hmm. And think of it like this. Think of it as, you know, a great pair of swim goggles. But the problem is they keep leaking in one of the one of the uh, eye sockets okay they're not any good at that point and so these even though you have something on your face you can't see very well with your swim goggles if they're leaking and that's what happens if you don't use high quality respiratory protection so these surgical masks these cloth masks that people put out you know they are really not effective at all in stopping this think of this virus being transmitted as if you were in a room with somebody who was smoking a cigarette that's mm-hmm. what we call an aerosol it floats in the air do you think if you just had a plain old piece of cloth or a surgical mask put on your face, you wouldn't smell that cigarette in short order? Of course you would. You'd smell that smoke. If that were a person who was infected with COVID and basically breathing in and out like that, that virus that you would inhale in, that or smoke, would infect you. So part of the challenge we have right now is even in Asia is getting people to wear the right respiratory protection. Mm-hmm. And that's why Asia has been hit so hard recently even though they have had a lot of masking look what we've seen in china look what we've seen in north korea right now is an international disaster of what's happening there with covid and so yeah so i think the point you're raising though which is really an important one is how do we get people to understand that and i say to people you know you have to protect yourself right now the public is not going to protect you don't count on it so one be fully vaccinated get as much vaccine as you as you can meaning that you know the four doses uh, at all possible second of all is if you're someone who's at increased risk for severe illness older heavier you know underlying health conditions then the one thing you can do to help protect yourself is wear that n95 wear it tight and wear it consistently you know don't think that the virus goes on vacation because you want to go to a restaurant for 45 minutes out of the day Okay. No, it's not going to stop being transmitted that 45 minutes. So it's hard to go to a restaurant and eat if you can't take your N95 Mm -hmm. off. But if it's the difference between life and death for you, then I would suggest you pick life and not the restaurant. I think about this a lot um, because when people, I mean, I've obviously, I'm, my dad is a biologist. And so he explained a lot of the science to me in the very, very beginning of the pandemic. in addition to can like, I, can I might add? I, oh, it's, yeah. it's clear he he did a good job. Too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he well, he you he would be that. very. I'm going that. to send him this clip, and he's going to be very proud. And I'm just very excited that I I've learned the appropriate information. Um, but it, it, it it's so clear to me that um because you know people are sort of wearing the masks wrong, or they're like, well, I only took it off to eat or drink, and I'm like, this literally like. You, you can't take it off. That's the whole point. You got to put it on and leave it on your face. Um, and then also I, I had a fundamental understanding of the fact that like being near other human beings is putting yourself at risk of COVID, whether or not you, re- I just assumed everybody had COVID. I just assumed from the very beginning, I was like, everybody I come into contact with every human, they could be asymptomatic. I made that assumption. I acted accordingly so far. So good. Knock on wood. Um, and and that's sort of how I've approached it. We only have one more minute, but I think, I mean, just speak to the folks out there who are fatigued, no, though, and, by that. You know, and, and, and they're fatigued, but let me tell you the worst fatigue of all 
is while we've been talking about the issue of reduced severity of illness with regard to deaths and hospitalization, mm. we're not seeing reductions in long COVID. Mm. Remember, anywhere from 5 to 30% of people who have COVID infection, even milder COVID infections, are going on and developing these long-term challenges with long mm. COVID, fatigue, uh, you know, inability to think, you know, brain fog as it's been described heart problems, lung problems. Right. This is a hell of a legacy to get yep. from being infected by a virus. So for me, I think to myself, you know, I probably have a good chance of not dying from COVID. You know, I have access to Paxlovid, right. the drug. I have a good hospitalization. You know, I'm fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But if I get long COVID, you know, I could be spending months and months and months really disabled in a way. And so I still work hard not to get COVID infection because yes. I don't want to get long COVID. Me too. So I think, That's me. So I think me too. That from that perspective, yeah. people have to understand we're not done yet. Now, why? Yeah. What do we? What's what's the end game here? The end game's got to be better vaccines. We got to work on that. We are working on that. Our group right. at CIDRAP, the Center of Infectious Disease Research and Policy that I lead at the University of Minnesota, is actually overseeing a major international yeah. process to actually get better vaccines. Absolutely. I would love to have you back. Um, this has been a great conversation, super comprehensive and helpful. I hope the folks at home feel the yes. same way. Dr. Michael Osterholm, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.